the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Today is a major anniversary, and then is there an anti-Christian bias in Hollywood? You're listening to The Common Good. Happy Monday, friends. Welcome to The Common Good here on AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Alongside Aubrey Sampson, my name is Brian Fromm. T-minus seven days till Aubrey's birthday. <gasps> Brian! The billboards are up. The balloons Thank are being inflated. How are we feeling? It's almost birthday time. You know what? If it weren't for the time change, I'd be feeling really excited. <laughs> Would you ask me in like three more days when my body's used to the time change? And then I'm going to be like, woohoo, it's my birthday! I do struggle with the time change because it does throw you off for a while. But now it's later, later, which is just what I want. Which is what we all want. Yeah. Yes, that piece is true. I'm happy about that. But And I was fine on Sunday, but something about earlier this morning when I had to wake up, I was like, Today no. They felt bad with the yeah. dark and this yeah. and that. So yep. uh, hopefully everybody is enjoying the later, the, the light later. Now we won't leave the studio anymore and just pitch black. It'll be okay. That's true. We'll drive home. We'll be able to see. Lots happened in the world this weekend. Later on in the show, Aubrey's going to drive talking about the Oscars because it will not shock you that I not only never saw the movies, I didn't watch the Oscars. Uh, So sad. I'll have a conversation with myself about the Oscars. I'm going to give a lot of these. Uh Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Yep. Just give me a lot of that. March Madness taking place. All sorts of stuff. Aubrey, where were you three years ago today? Oh, is it? Are you aware (gasps) of what is... Today is yeah, the three-year anniversary. Uh, COVID, the shutdown, right? The lockdown. Three I, years wow. ago today. Uh, do you remember where you were when literally the text messages were coming saying yeah. schools are, are yeah. closing? Because this was the, it was Friday the 13th, yep. March 13th of 2020. Yep. And we all started getting text messages saying, so uh, kids, school's done. Yeah. And none of us knew it would be done for like two years. <laughs> but uh, it, it, today was the day where everything started unraveling. Yeah. You know, what's funny is so it's also the anniversary of this massive tornado in Nashville that knocked down my oh. aunt and uncle's home. So this is what I remember. Kevin had gone down to help them see what they could salvage and to start like sorting through things. And he's driving home, and and I'm getting because fl- he's out of town. I'm getting flooded with phone calls from our church staff right. going, "We need to cancel. We need to cancel. We need to cancel." And I'm like, "Okay, let me. I'll run this by Kevin." So I'm calling Kevin, and Kevin's like, "I don't even know what you're talking about. Like, I've heard some <laughs> things about COVID, but like, I don't know." And I was like, "Babe, you need to like turn on the news, pay attention to what's going on. I know right. you've been distracted, but like there's a whole world happening right now. He calls our friend Jamie Ayton at the Humanitarian Disaster Institute and is like driving home from Nashville. Jamie, what is going on? And then just, we, you know, we made the call. to. So I was at home sort of fielding things. But then here's the other thing I remember. 
we like got a big whiteboard and we played family games <laughs> and we ordered food from a restaurant and we were kind of like, oh, this will be fun. A little shutdown. Like we had it no idea it. what we were walking into. So and I do want to go there. But I remember I've told you each of the first four days of, uh, of shutdown, my son and I watched a different Rocky movie. And I remember being like. <laughs> This is great. Kind of fun because right. we all thought it would be like a week. I remember we telling, did a little vacation is what we thought. I remember our church staff like, "Hey, we're going to be out for a week," uh, and you know, oh, and then it was like, "Oh, we're going to be out for two weeks." Like you, uh, I was able to. Um, I remember texting with Kelly Brady, who's kind of my mentor. Yeah, on Bible church yeah. Going, I almost wanted some cover. I was like, "Are you guys right. meeting this right. Sunday?" And he's like, "I don't know. We're talking to all these other people." It was like. Everybody wanted the first person to kind of jump, and uh, and then it all started going. The, can I bring up something else, too, which yes. I think is a little laughable now and a little, like, fear-mongering? But you remember Ed Setzer, who we love, we're fans of. Uh, not only do I remember, we talked about this extensively Did on we? the show. He, was I? No, it was, I it was there. It was still Ian. Yeah. So he gets on and makes this video about how, like, hey, what we're seeing in China, what we're seeing in Italy, what we're seeing, masses amounts of people are going to die. Yeah. All the blah, blah, blah. All around, I mean, everybody needs to close down. And so everyone reacted to that thinking he's speaking with such authority. Yes. And like, and there was certainly some truth to at what he point, was saying. Yeah. But at the same time, I look back on that and wonder, did he jump the gun and should have just not tried to be the leader of the fray? So the problem with that video that you're speaking of was it was like a hostage video. Yeah. He shot it from his basement <laughs> with like a like a sheet behind him. This is like pre-Zoom when we all had the backgrounds. And Aubrey, so I vividly true. remember the line he said. What did he say? It is not if you have people in your church who will die. It will is you? when. Yeah. And I was like, Yeah. Oh no. <laughs> That's I'm right. Not ready that was for a this. scary that was a scary video. Oh my god. Was that helpful as a leader looking no, back? It was. It, yeah, but, he shouldn't have But done let's it. go there because there were a lot of ways that we like let's have this conversation. Kay. Three years now. Yeah. You can't, in the span of five minutes, we can't sum up how did mm. the world change in COVID. Mm. But it is striking to look back and go, like, I was, I remember thinking it was like three or four weeks in and I thought I might have a fever and thinking to myself, uh-oh. Oh, I know. Like, what's about to happen? Yeah. And I didn't. Yeah. But I remember because it was at that point you were like, people get COVID. It's like a 50-50 shot. You end up on a ventilator. Oh, no. It and- was so... It was very scary, and I have an autoimmune disease, and so mm. I can remember one night even in particular just bawling my eyes out to Kevin, like, I might die from this. Yes. Like, I really thought I was – or especially early on. But then you did see people die. Like, I mean, I no had doubt. I had a friend whose husband was on a ventilator for, like, three weeks. He somehow survived that, but, like, that was terrifying. Kevin's mom died. We lost a young right. man in our church early on named Michael McHale. He was 25 years old. Like – so it was very, yes. very scary when it hit so close to home. And yet in, I think there is something about perspective looking back where we go, oh, well, I guess, praise God, it wasn't as bad as it could have yeah, been yeah. like it was in some other countries. The, thinking of the Stetzer video or more than that, thinking of the just the government response and all of all of the response. Yeah. When I look back, obviously the major thing that we think about with COVID is like literally, you know, a, a untold number of people died right. worldwide. Like right. it is a big deal. Yeah. But I think the greatest ramification of COVID over the last three years is we don't trust people anymore. Mm. When they say, mm. uh, take cover, when yeah. they say you need to be yeah. careful, 
when you say, and that starts with, I mean, think about how Dr. Fauci was talked about then versus how he's talked about. He was a hero for a while. I remember saying to Ian, I don't trust anything unless I hear Dr. Fauci say it. Oh, yeah, totally. And now think about how a lot of people talk about him. I can't imagine what will happen. Hopefully there is no next time. But whatever the next COVID is, I don't think, like, I think we're all jaded. And there are some people out there listening who are like, we're rightfully jaded. Yeah. But I just think there was an innocence, a naiveness back then that do, it certainly doesn't exist anymore. No, it definitely does exist anymore. And just also, I, I, I mean, I still think it'll be interesting to see as experts study the impact of the isolation, mm-hmm. the fear, the even the hate towards people groups. Like, it got so wild yeah wild west out there i'm very curious long term is there healing is there um just what what ha- i'm just curious yep. what will the outcome be of those years yeah because i don't think we know yet no although we're seeing a lot of it in our kids and I think yeah we'll that's talk true. about that a You're little right. later and you even see people who are at the forefront of we need to shut schools down now being like i never said shut schools down <laughs> i never did this but uh, man, we were just talking about it as a family the other day. Uh, Reminiscing sounds like the wrong word, right? Because right? that but sounds positive. Yeah. We were just like thinking back on, yeah, what it was like. Like I can't. My daughter's in college now. I don't know how college people still paid the bill for college, but Seriously. came home and were doing it. I, yeah. Oh. And three years ago today, doesn't I doesn't do, it also feel like a different lifetime? Like three years ago feels like three years ago on it? Jupiter, it, like not three years ago in my real life now. You know, I'll, I'll, I'll end with this. I remember I was in a meeting with somebody at Pete's Coffee in downtown Downers. Yeah. And, you know, you try to be good when you're meeting with somebody from your church uh-huh. and not look at your phone. Right. Right. But you also knew this was hovering out. It's not like this just happened. Like, it was yeah, hovering out there. For a while. And all of a sudden, I'm, like, feeling my phone vibrate and vibrate again and vibrate again. And I was like, hey, I just need to look. I'm look. so sorry. And her right. phone is doing the same. So we look, and I'm getting carries, like, they just closed the middle school. They just closed the high school. Uh, they just, what are we going to do? And then other people. And it was like, uh, it really did feel like the apocalypse. So, it definitely did. And we're, for, we are changed as individuals, as churches, mm-hmm. certainly as a society mm-hmm. from three years ago today. Uh, Got to yeah, shake that off a little get bit. A, get a uh, slice of cake, you know, and <laughs> put on a mask and eat some cake today <laughs> to celebrate. We'll in get, honor of the lockdown. In honor of three years ago. Uh Wear a mask today. See, see how you feel. <laughs> see how people react to you. <laughs> I am so excited because I am joined by Christy Anthony and Hannah Wee Hunt of an organization that I am passionate about, SOS International. They are at work around the world in Latin America and Asia, providing rescue, providing care, providing hope, providing dignity, providing a new future for women and children who are being rescued from situations of human trafficking. And I am so excited to hear from them. And listeners, have you hear uh, from their hearts about what God is doing around the world and how you can be a part of it. So Christy and Hannah, thank you so much for being here again with us on The Common Good. We love having you. Thank you. We're excited. Hannah, for our listeners who may not be familiar with the work of SOS International, can you tell us a little bit about what you do? And then I would just love to hear personally, too, like, why do you? Um, Well, SOS International is a nonprofit. We work all around the world. Um, Specifically, we have projects in Asia, Latin America, and then here in the States. Um, And we go into communities where children are at risk, and we help secure them. 
So we do that through four main areas of impact. We do that through feeding, water, rescue and rehabilitation of trafficking victims, and community development. We have been doing that for over 30 years. That's amazing. Um, And so some really incredible transformation has come from that time. Um, Lots of lessons learned and lots of just incredible transformation. So um, I personally am our marketing director and I've been on staff for almost 10 years now. And I got involved because, you know, I just have a passion to see real solutions come to these problems. I think one of my favorite things Mm. about SOS is um, it's not a Band-Aid. SOS Mm. goes into communities and helps solve problems so that it can break generational problems. We're not just giving kids food. We're going in and developing that community, addressing why there was an issue of food. We're not just, you know, giving water. We're not just rescuing um, traffic victims. We're going in and we're stopping that in its tracks so that the generations that come after don't Mm. ever have to face it. And so, yeah, I love getting to work with SOS and I love that we get to invite you guys to partner with us. Yeah. And in fact, that's what we want to invite you to do listeners. We would love to invite five of you right now to do this. Go to our website, 1160hope.com. Click on that SOS international banner. Or if you happen to have your phone by you, you can do something. I've never done this before. I just tried it. It actually works and it's really cool. So you might want to do this just for fun. Act like you're making a phone call, but dial hashtag or pound sign 250. It will actually ring. A call center will answer. It will give you a prompt. You'll say Chicago cares. That's the phrase you want to remember. Chicago cares. And then what that's going to do is send you a link to give to SOS International. And here's what we're doing. This is so incredible. Your gift of $150 provides one month of complete care for a child or woman being rescued from human trafficking. Complete care. So that's holistic. That's medical. That's love. That's uh, dignity. That's a place to sleep. That's food. That's water. Only $150 will make an incredible difference in the life of a woman or child today. And we have a generous donor who is doing a match. So your gift that goes to rescue one child or one woman is actually doubled. It will be for two children or two women. That's an eternal impact that you can make today by going to our website, 1160hope.com and clicking on the SOS International banner. Okay, Christy, Anthony, I I would love to hear from you. Do you have a story? Man, it's so hard to pick just one. I think for me, every time I get to work with one of these girls that has been through the process of trafficking rehabilitation and to see and to hear and to process with them the brokenness and the devastation and then to see what where they have come and how their lives are being rebuilt. Every time I encounter it, it just feels like a miracle to me. Um, but there's one sweet friend in particular who she was actually born inside of a red light district, born to a trafficking victim. And she came out to safety mm. through a nightcare shelter um, when she was just old enough that she, her safety started to get threatened. Her mom actually gave her up to a safe place to sleep. And I have gotten the joy of walking with her for over 15 years now as she has gone to school and built this future that's so different than where she was born and Mm. what she, what her life was supposed to look like. And to see how that point of intervention where she was able to come out to a place of safety, how that turned into faithful partners and donors walking alongside her to make freedom possible. And to watch over the trajectory of 15 years in a young girl's life, the difference that it makes. And Mm. she has studied Mm. um, into university now. She is passionate about music. She's an artist. And Mm. every time I 
I hear her sing and play the piano and perform and just the power behind her music and the way that she's taken so many of her life experiences and channeled them through the creative arts to create just this really beautiful expression of music and to see as she Mm. has so many incredible opportunities to perform and to play and to tell her story and just the power of that moment. But seeing all of the little choices over the last 15 years of donors choosing to say, yes, we're going to walk alongside her, of her mom choosing to say, yes, let's get her to a place of safety, of her making those hard choices to Mm. lean into that space and to heal. Mm. Um, Because because choosing to heal is, that that requires a step of bravery and and a willingness to dream again and watching over 15 years how all of those Mm. little choices come together to build a life that is Mm. so beautiful that defies the odds of where she was born. Because where she was born said she should be in captivity dying in a red light district and that's not her story and it is those moments of hope that get me so excited because that's that's the beauty of what we're invited to right it's that restoration rusty ah I could listen to you go on and on. That is such a powerful story. And listeners, I want you to hear that the invitation for you today is to make freedom possible, to give the gift of a dream back to a young girl or a woman who's been in a situation of trafficking. Like you just said healing. You just said dreaming again. The things that we're inviting you listeners to do today will make a difference in the life of a, not. I mean, think about that. Like not just this girl, but generations of who she's going to influence, who these children were influenced because of your gift today. So here's what we would love to invite you to do. Go to our website, 1160hope.com. Click on that SOS international banner. Do not wait. Your gift of $150 goes to Complete Care, the beginning of that new story for a child or a woman being rescued from human trafficking. You can also dial the number hashtag 250 or pound sign 250. And when you're prompted, use the phrase Chicago Cares to give a gift today. Hannah, we just have a little bit more time left. And so this is a hard question to ask you. Maybe we'll continue talking about it in a few minutes as well. But the numbers that we hear are that there are more than 40 million slaves in the world today, enslaved people in the world today. One in four of these slaves are children. Is that right? Yeah, those are hard numbers. Mm. Um, those are numbers you kind of have to wrestle with a little bit, Yeah, but that is right. I will tell you, we were just in, um, one of our rescue homes and, uh, we were preparing a birthday party for a little girl who's turning 11. Mm. So let me connect those dots for you. She was trafficked, abused, found rescued by the age of 10. Mm. That's a little girl. Mm. Yeah, that is. I mean, I Um, have a son who's 11. That's a little girl. It's mm-hmm. a little girl. And, you know, we, mm. we got the honor of helping prep her for her birthday party. Mm. But I think that that's the hard thing about these, right? We hear those numbers and we're like, oh, wow, that's overwhelming. But exactly what you did, Aubrey, exactly going, oh, my gosh, I yeah. have an 11-year-old. Yeah. That's what it takes from us yeah. is going, oh, that's, that could be a child I know. I actually think, listeners, that's a good word for you. If you are – maybe you're the mom – Maybe you're the dad, maybe you're the grandma, the grandpa, the auntie, the uncle, the neighbor of uh, an 11-year-old, a 10-year-old. And I think in that child's honor, remember that these kids around the world are also our daughters. And so your gift of $150 today in honor of the little one in your life will make such 
such a difference for this heartbreaking reality. Go to our website, 1160hope.com. Click on the SOS International banner and give a gift of $150 today. That provides a month of complete care for a child or a woman. It provides complete care for that 11-year-old having a birthday party. And um, I promise you God will use it in powerful ways. Favorite character from The Office. Go. Um, oh, Kevin. <laughs> oh, that's a good one. <laughs> I love Kevin. I do feel like when you talk about the, and I'll share in a second why we're talking about this, but I do feel like when you share, when we talk about The Office, it needs to be split between the main characters. And that's true. And the other. Yeah, that's true. Because if we're going the Kevin route, I might choose Kevin. I might also choose Creed. <laughs> oh, yeah. I love Creed. He's so he's so like random. But and then in the end, I do think if you're talking about the Michael, May, Michael, right. Pam, Jim, Dwight, Jim, Dwight, I think I probably choose Michael. Interesting. He's just like Interesting. kind of the fulcrum of the uh, show. Yeah, he is the fulcrum of the show. I'm probably a Jim, probably a Jim and Pam fan. Do you just find you yourself know? looking at like like pretending there's a camera, just kind of going, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh man, it, you know, I sort of wish they would reboot that show. Like it'd be fun or have a Years movie later. or something. Like it'd be fun to kind of revisit it. Yeah, but, seriously. But I feel like I've seen it so many times. I don't need to. I don't need the storyline again. It has now gotten to the point where there. There cannot be an episode of The Office that comes on that I know I haven't seen. Yeah. To tell you exactly what happened. Yeah. I feel that way with Seinfeld, too. Like, nope, I saw it. Yeah. Uh, right. I know that's, exactly what happened. That's when you, you'll you reference Seinfeld and I'll, I'll be like blank stare. Like, it's I just sorry. I don't know what you're talking it's about. True. If people want to see that in reverse, stick around when we talk about the Oscars <laughs> later on. <laughs> All right. The reason I bring up The Office is because Dwight Schrute, the actor who played Dwight Schrute, his name is Rain Wilson. Uh, and Rain Wilson is all over the place on Twitter. Like sometimes you'll read things he he says, and you'll be like, "Boy, that felt like really uh, biting at things I believe." Ah. But other times he'll say things, and you're like, "Is he a evangelical Christian?" <laughs> so yeah. By the way, he has a book coming out that's called Soul Boom: Why We Need a Spiritual Revelation or Revolution. You go. There I you think. go. Yeah. So he's all over the place, and here's what he tweeted, Aubrey, two days ago. This is a bit of the definition of a viral tweet. In two days, can I tell you how many people? He put, he put this out into the Twitter world on Saturday at 2.50 p.m. To date, there have been 5.7 million views. Whoa! We call that viral. So let me read to you what Rain Wilson said. And, uh, yeah, let's just get your, let, get your okay. take on it. Rain Wilson said, I do think there's an anti-Christian bias in Hollywood. Mm. As soon as the David character in The Last of Us, not going to surprise you, I haven't seen this. Yeah. Started, we, we actually just started, so I, I am not caught up on that show. So but. as soon as the David character in The Last of Us started reading the Bible, I knew he was going to be a horrific villain. Uh. Could there be a Bible reading preacher on a show who's actually loving and kind? Mm. So a lot of people, obviously, 5.7 million people have viewed this. A lot of retweets, quote, tweets, responses. Uh, so, A, I was surprised he put that out there. Yeah, and really. in Hollywood. Uh, but really, what do you think about what Rain Wilson had to say there? Um, uh, yeah, I mean, I... It's interesting to me that he knew. So I again, I Kevin and I are really behind on the show. You haven't watched it. Mm-mm. So I don't exactly know what he's talking about, but it's interesting to me that Rain Wilson from his perspective like, "Oh, he pulled out a Bible. Now he's going to be evil." Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. it's it is um there, it, it's hard cuz there are some like 
major Christians in Hollywood, like I, not a lot, but like you think about um, one of our favorite Chris's, Chris Pratt, mm-hmm. right? And his circle, like there are some pretty outgoing, outspoken evangelical Christians in Hollywood, but that doesn't mean there isn't an anti-Christian bias as far as the storylines. And that's what he's getting yeah. at. <clears throat> Less about, you know, Chris Pratt. Talk, I think he, Chris Pratt has gotten a lot of pushback and that might be a nice way to Certainly put it. Certainly he has. But yeah. Ray, I think it's interesting. And when I first read what Rain Wilson mm-hmm. said here, first of all, we joke about it, but a lot of these shows that the kids are, are uh, you know, uh, streaming these days, you being one of those kids, uh, <laughs> I have attended. Although someday we are going to need to talk that I have been in and out of with one of my daughter. What's that? My daughter, uh, my youngest daughter and my wife have been. They are two episodes away from being done with the Outer Banks. Oh, do you like that show? My I dad, really do. My dad likes that show. I quit watching it after Time the out. first season. <laughs> Did I just try to make myself hip and in and you just countered with my dad likes no, that I show? No, I think a lot of people love Outer Banks. It's like the new Dawson's Creek. I just don't like – they're like teenagers and they're – they're high school students, and they're living very explicit adult lives. And yeah, well, they're also just traveling the world. Exactly. Exactly. This. But it's been fun. But um, with that said, when he said this, I thought to myself a couple things. Yeah. First of all, in the 80s, every time there was a Bible-toting pastor, it was the same character. Think Footloose. Yeah. Think Dirty right, Dancing. Right, right. Think all of these where right. it was like, oh, I know what's about to happen. Yeah. Uh, but two, I think Hollywood is usually ahead of, but also mirrors our culture in general. Mm. What does our culture mm. in general think about "quote unquote" Bible reading evangelicals? Yeah. They yeah. think they're judgmental. They think we are uh, closed-minded villains. They think we're this, and yeah. it's just being portrayed that yeah. way. Uh, and that's one of the things that I think get you and I frustrated. We go, but we're not all like that. We're not like that. But I think he is tapping onto something. I suspect he's right, and he's probably seen it from the inside. I think the question is, at what point do we go, who cares? Like, this shouldn't surprise us that there's an anti-Christian bias in Hollywood. Like, do we stand up against it and say, okay, now I'm not going to watch Hollywood movies? Or do we say, I want the right for Christians to be portrayed more holistically the way other people groups are portrayed holistically? Or we do we just live with it? Like, yeah. at what point does it cross the line into, like, we're going to protest against this, just like other religious groups want to, don't want to be portrayed as villains? Christians don't either. And at what point do we just say, who cares? This is what Jesus told us would happen. Why would we yeah. expect it to be different? I don't know. I don't know the answer. As someone who loves movies, it does make me kind of sad. Like, are you kidding me? This is such a... This is such a um, derivative way to write any character anyway. It's like a stereotype now. Right, right. So what about nuance? What about – you know what I appreciated? This is not – this does not say – this isn't an answer. But did you ever watch the sitcom Superstore? No. So it's hilarious. You should watch it sometime. It's a great show. But they have a Christian character who's the manager, and he's goofy, and he's bumbling, and he very—they play into a lot of Christian stereotypes, and yet he's kind and thoughtful, and he changes, and he asks for forgiveness, and that's the closest thing I've seen. But that's like 0.1% of that's all right. things in that's Hollywood. Right. So to answer your question, A, I think what frustrates me is I would like in a more accurate representation of Christians. Not, yeah. a, not a flowery one, mm. not a— 
Pollyanna one, but yeah. a, a more accurate. A but, more nuanced. Yeah. Yeah. But two, uh, when you say what is our response, I think the I think we're getting the answer with things like The Chosen and The Jesus Revolution. I see. We're going to make our People own stuff. People going, yeah. we're going to make stuff that's good yeah. and accurate. Yeah. And uh, I saw that there's a movie coming out. I might have misread this a little bit, but in the vein of The Chosen, not from The Chosen mm-hmm. People, but their production company. I read the other day there's either a series or a movie coming out, and I it, clickbait. I clicked on it because yeah. it said one of the most controversial <laughs> and difficult passages of the Bible is the foundation oh. of this movie, and I was like, I'm in. Clicked <laughs> Sold. On it. There's going to be a movie coming out about Abraham being told to sacrifice Isaac. No way. Yeah, and I was like, oh. Okay, Ooh. I want to see that. Ooh. And so I think that might be part of the answer when you ask, well, what's our response? We're going to make our own art. Yeah. I think. Yeah. I think it might be, but it is interesting. I don't think anywhere is Rain Wilson going, I'm an evangelical Christian, but he's the one saying this, I think becomes uh, becomes interesting. Yeah, very interesting. All right, Aubrey. Uh, John MacArthur, who is uh, on our radio station, he is well known across the evangelical world. Uh, also, I think he enjoys being a lightning rod. Is that fair? He says, uh, I'm speaking truth, and you can love me or hate me. I think yes. I, I think that has increased yes. as he gets older. Yes. There was a, a, a conference that happens every year called the Shepherd's Conference that is at his church. So uh, some people have uh, affectionately referred to it as MacArthurCon. Right, like it's oh, the that's MacArthur funny. Conference. I haven't heard that. That's funny. And he was coming back. This he's been out of the pulpit. Apparently, he had some heart surgery or something. And so it was, it was like a John MacArthur love fest. But it was also uh, kind of John MacArthur's some of his best hits. He he was trending on Twitter this past weekend, which is so wild. I mean, just think about that the the world we live in that John MacArthur is trending trending, trending on, on Twitter. Twitter. So it's like my grandma being trending it's on so Twitter. so funny. Uh, but he had a lot to say about a lot of things. Yes, so, he did. Uh, he he took what some people thought was a veiled shot at Tim Keller and at Andy Stanley. Uh, and John MacArthur is very much stepping into uh, this is what Christianity needs to be now. It's almost like yeah. he's been emboldened by uh, his Age stance. or his heart or well, his health I, or something. I, no, I think he's been emboldened by the stance and the no, not notoriety. I'm not even saying notoriety in a bad way. But the stance he took during COVID of, like, oh, I see. I'm keeping my church open. I see. I'm standing up for what I think is right and true. In yeah. So uh, y- you can read or see this week all the things that MacArthur said at the Shepherds Conference. But I want to zero in on something he said about the Asbury Revival. So mm. you and I have been talking a lot uh, about the, the Asbury Revival and um, what do we make of it? Yeah. And so now you're getting kind of the commentary going on, right? And so uh, John MacArthur, we read this from his words this weekend. He said, conceding the possibility that, quote, some students experience genuine revival, MacArthur said, quote, only time would tell that. For most of these kids, I'm afraid it wasn't about Christ. It was about the chords. It was about singing the same words for 20 minutes in a row in some kind of pseudo-spiritual experience that had no relationship to sound doctrine to the depth of the gospel. He added, I would like to know if that same revival would have occurred without the music. Shut the music down and let's find out what God is really doing, Mark MacArthur continued, arguing that contemporary styles of worship music may take, quote, 
people kind of to a level of hypnosis. You know what? I it just feels to, a little to me like the old people complaining that the drums are too loud. Like, <laughs> can God not use music? I mean, throughout scripture, God's people have worshipped him through music. Like, what are the Psalms? And mm-hmm. I, I don't understand why the need to make the um uh the the separation between the music can ho- the holy spirit not work through music yep. I, I i don't really there are some critiques to be made or questions to be asked about the revival at asbury mm-hmm. certainly we've asked some of those questions we've talked about some of those questions i don't know that this um it what i feel like he's saying is like this only was a true revival if it was no, if it was no music and just Bible reading, mm-hmm. and I, I question if he's got a hot take on it or not. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, I also do think where I agree. I do think time will tell if that was a genuine revival or not. I think MacArthur's right about that. Um, I, but at the same time, and this is not only true of MacArthur. I've said this of all of the voices we've talked about. I'm just getting so tired of the cynicism. Mm-hmm. Like I just wish he would have said. I can't wait to see what comes out of that revival at Asbury. Mm-hmm. Let's give it time and find out. Yeah, I, I think what's interesting to me is uh, people who are making these observations about the the worship music. Yeah. They sing in their churches. Right. Do, I mean, do like, they? I don't know. Does no, MacArthur do. Church sing? They do, but here's where you get at where there's a certain line of, of thinking right now. You'll see this on Twitter with Mark Dever. Right. And yeah. the nine marks guys. Yeah. That there is a, a, no pun intended, an elevation of the hymn sing. Right. Yes. Right. So right. I, sign me up for a good hymn sing. Totally. I love hymns. Same. But I also, I don't think MacArthur or others would be saying this about, um, about the chords and the singing if Asbury had been completely driven by him. So I'm not even sure this is about music. I think it's the type of music. If it had been great is thy faithfulness and how great thou art and then a preacher and then this, I suspect, I don't want to put words in their mouth, but I suspect that there would be a lot more excitement uh, because I do think they have points, right? Like there is, you made an interesting point to me off air. You said, We've reached the point where some of the deconstructionists are saying the same thing as MacArthur. some of the fun, uh, the more fundamentalists. Yeah. When it comes to worship music, they're the the, the deconstructionists. That's interesting to me. It's our old horseshoe theory, right? The yeah. deconstructionists here are saying, "Hey, this was just an emotional thing. This was just an emotional mm-hmm. thing." And I think there is healthy cynicism, but I do feel like we might be jumping the shark on the healthy cynicism. Where, remember we talked last week about um, – oh, man, what did Tim Challey say? Like uh, pray, I want to get to the point where I say praise Jesus yeah. instead of a no way. Yeah. And yeah. I do think uh, MacArthur's best thing he says here about the revival is time's going to tell. Yeah, time will tell if this was genuine or not. Because you and I uh, – we've said this before. You and I were at Wheaton post-revival. Mm-hmm. And I remember at times thinking to myself like – I don't know. That person said they were really moved by the revival and they don't seem like they're doing great things right, right. now. Like, and it caused people like us who weren't there to yeah. go. Huh. Was that, what was that sincere or and not? And that could absolutely, MacArthur could be a hundred percent right here. 
But it also feels like the leaning in on the worship style yeah. feels like a um, like something that is it, – it, it's taking the battles going on in the church world and putting it on this, right? Like you hear this all the time. Oh, now worship music now is just emotional drivel. Yeah. It's just this. Yeah. We've got to – again, I get goosebumps when we sing How Great Thou Art. Yeah. When we sing, you know, any of the It Is Well With My Soul – uh, but this does feel like, um, like you said, a little bit of the older church going, you know, shaking their fist and going, "You don't know what you're doing, younger people." Right, and I, and again, I tend to, I tend to push back when anybody assumes God can't work through means. Mm-hmm. Like, why can't God work through music? I, I don't. I, I, there is such scriptural precedence for that that this argument makes zero sense to me. And simultaneously, why can't God meet us in our emotions? Mm-hmm. Like, and, and, you know, this is kind of my whole deal. Like, I have a kid's book coming out called Big Feelings Days. So I'm all about the emotions. But we have two, we have two often separated the heart and the head and the soul as if they're different things. And God does yeah. not want to meet our whole person. And so to say this was just emotional or whatever, well, who cares? God wants to bring healing and meet us in our emotions because God created emotions. Yeah. And that doesn't mean all emotions are fine. That doesn't mean they don't need to be redeemed. Certainly they do, just like our head, just like our actions, et cetera. But I, this is just a weird line in the sand to me. And I am—we've I, said this before. I'll say it again. I just am longing for people who are passionate and excited about what God is doing. And it might be the my own cynicism within me. I don't need more cynics leading me. Yeah. I need yeah. people who have a fresh faith and a love for Jesus— and our critical thinkers, yes, but are not biased towards cynicism because yeah. I don't need to be led deeper into that. I've got enough of that in me. Yeah, so uh, interesting words from John MacArthur about all sorts of things this weekend. We're glad that he's healthy. And uh, the, the, the Shepherds Conference, did you see that they had cans of fresco with his face on it? Because he apparently loves I just, fresco. I literally just I want to be that. part of it. I that want my church wild. someday. <laughs> I want my church someday to go, you know what? Brian loves iced tea. So we are going to honor him with with his face on iced tea. So glad that MacArthur is back. But man, some interesting words there. And I think we keep bringing this up because the evangelical world, ourselves included, keep wrestling with what happened at Asbury College. Yeah. What yeah. happened? And did it spread to other places? And what is mm. the result going to be? I think the the best thing MacArthur said there is, time will tell. Time will tell. All right. Well, Brian and I will be back again, hopefully more refreshed from 4 to 6 p.m. For Brian Fromm, I'm Aubrey Sampson, and you've been listening to The Common Good on AM 1160. Hope for your life. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.